The following podcast may contain explicit language. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to The Little London Show, your favorite podcast for all your favorite things. Recorded in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to The Little London Show. I'm Jeff. And I'm Darcy. Welcome to the show. It's our our ballot... What do we want to call this? Result wrap up? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Election election review. Uh, even though there are, are things we can't announce as of this recording, there are lots of things to talk about that I think are definitely worth focusing on right now. Yeah. So we have lots of uh, results from Colorado. The state results are mostly in on that end. We're recording this Friday uh, after the election. So we don't have official U.S. presidential results, things are trending in Biden's favor as we record, uh, but no official announcement quite yet. So when you're listening to this, perhaps Biden is the official president. We won't know. My guess is we won't get uh, certified vote totals until later November. Yeah. Most states don't require to have certified totals until uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 days after election day. Uh, Just as you're listening to this, that is normal. That is the schedule that happens every time. (laughs) And so nothing strange about that. Um, And so I don't know. It really depends on how cautiously uh, anybody calls the race at this point. Do we wait until things are certified or not? Right now, we don't know. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's jump in though, cause we got some, some fun, uh, stuff out there. Um, some very interesting results across the country, both on the ballot side or excuse me, on the, uh, proposition side, ballot initiative side, and also the candidate side, which is worth talking about. Yes. Uh, I'm actually really, really glad we're doing this episode because so much of my information feeds are focused on the presidential election. And there is so much to know about what really happened that isn't being contested. People who got elected that are that's really exciting to think about the people who were elected. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're diving into this. It, it makes me feel kind of good in the midst of <laughs> so much anxiety. <laughs> In the midst of a, a giant global pandemic uh, and economic uncertainty. Darcy, you've been doing a great job with some of the articles that we've been putting up on the littlelondonshow.com website. Uh, we've revamped that, uh, i.e. Darcy's revamped that. But let's let's jump in there because we have some excellent Colorado election results. You have a nice piece up and we're just going to go right off that. Oh, great. All right. I don't even have that open yet. But yeah, so what we did was um, go through that super long Colorado ballot and all of the things that we had to vote on and made some notes on how things turned out and what that looks like. Now, the notes that we put up on our um, on our website are as of November 4th. There has been one thing formally decided that wasn't decided uh, when we put that up. And that is actually the gray wolves. If you want to start there, Um, we had a 50 50 split on these wolves like really close to 50 50 split on these wolves like we did not know what was going to happen but um it has pretty officially been called that we are reintroducing gray wolves into colorado so um that is the one update from the rest of these but otherwise we can start right there at amendment b and the gallagher Yeah, so Amendment B was the proposition to repeal the Gallagher Amendment. If you recall from our What the Fuck is on the Ballot episodes, the Gallagher Amendment essentially locks in property tax 
the property tax division between commercial and residential, and over time resulted in residential property taxes essentially declining to a point where it was becoming problematic for a lot of education funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so Amendment B was to repeal that, and it passed. So we are repealing the Gallagher Amendment. This tax policy is no, no longer locked into our Constitution. Yes. It passed by about 400,000 votes. Um, most of the state approved this one with the exception of the southeastern counties. Uh, yeah, that was a really interesting map to look at, actually. Um, it 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 passed by quite a lot. I mean, the factor of yes to repeal this uh, was quite a lot, but it is basically the southeastern counties that said no. The whole rest of the state went yes. And then there's just this block of southeastern counties that didn't want to do so, which I'm not quite sure what that's about, but that's the way the map turned out. It's exciting, though. I think this is going to hopefully, um, it will hopefully increase or at least stop the erosion of education funding. On the flip side, and we'll jump ahead a little bit, the state income tax measure also passed. So our state income tax is right. now is now down. I think, uh, what what will we end up with? Like $15 more in our paycheck? Uh, uh, well, the as we said in the in the what the fuck is on the ballot, the state income tax reduction really served uh, rich folks. I mean, that is the people that are going to benefit from that. Um, other otherwise, it's really just pulling money out of the state coffers, which means less money to go around when it comes to anything the state funds or runs. Those line items are going to be cut. So, yeah, on one hand, Gallagher, I'm super happy about the way that went. I think it needed to be repealed. And then lowering the state income tax from point, what is it, 4.63 to 4.55, I think, is yeah. uh, uh, kind of silly. <laughs> it Colorado, is you are so, you're so interesting, Colorado. Uh, <laughs> Amendment C, conduct of charitable gaming. If you remember, this was to allow... Um, it was to allow, <laughs> to allow nonprofits to basically hire people to run their bingo games. Yeah. It, uh, apparently people don't want this to happen. I don't understand. I don't understand this one. It was kind of close, 100, 120,000 um, between yes and no. Um, and yes, you know, yes eked this one out a little bit. Now it does require 55% approval to pass because it is Colorado constitution, but um, I don't understand why so many people voted against letting nonprofits have bingo yeah, games. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. It seemed like such an innocuous ballot initiative. But, I know. Uh, I, know. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, Amendment 76 is the next one, also requiring 55% uh, approval. And this was, uh, this was the change in the ballot language, right? Yeah, the change in the ballot language over... Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it basically, it, it's basically saying that only citizens can vote, which is basically what the law requires now anyway. Right. There is some concern that uh, it will lead to some somewhat of voter suppression because people will not what was the argument? It was like, so changing think- the language could end up uh, leading to some disenfranchisement. So right now it just says, you know, any citizen of the United States votes, but then it changed to, and we did change this. We voted uh, as a state to change this uh, to only a citizen. And the risk there is that that can then be argued, argued in court. What does this look like? It could be used to suppress votes. Um, it's just the language 
language itself could have negative implications when it comes to the people that we want to be able to vote. Um, but, uh, you know, as a state, we did change this one, which is very very surprising to me because I'm going to skip over to the national popular vote. We also passed the national popular vote compact, uh, which means that our electors would go to the winner of the national popular vote instead of being based on the way our state votes. And I, I don't know why. For me, it's like on one hand, we're voting to make sure that, you know, when it comes to elections, things are more fair. And then on the other hand, we're like changing language that could have negative outcome. It just, I just I think, you know, we we've been a purple state for a while. And I think our state ballot results kind of show this almost schizophrenic back and forth uh, of what we passed and what we didn't pass. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. The National Popular Vote uh, Compact now puts us in line with enough states to essentially allocate, I think, 190 electoral votes at the moment to the winner of the National Popular Vote. Yeah. Uh, it looks like this election, for the record, Biden will again win. Uh, so it's the seventh out of eight of the last, seventh out of the last eight presidential elections in which the Democratic candidate has won the popular vote. Um, but we've had two Republican presidents within that same mm -hmm. uh, duration, George Bush, George W. Bush, and then uh, obviously Trump. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, it's, uh, it's an interesting landscape out there. Anyway, continuing on, Amendment 77, local voter approval of casino bet limits and games in Blackhawk Central City in Cripple Creek. We recommended that you uh, voted to approve this one. Uh, it gave Blackhawk, Central City, and Cripple Creek, the, the towns with legalized gambling, the ability to set bet limits. Mm -hmm. uh, it passed margin was around 500,000 votes. Yeah. Um, it's great. We should let local municipalities have the autonomy that they need to determine their economic interests, and they are the ones dealing with the impact. So we should yeah. give them that uh, control. Yeah, I think that worked well. Proposition EE was the next one, taxes on nicotine products. Holy moly, Colorado, you really want to tax nicotine products. Like, of all of the things we voted on, this is the one that has the largest margin. Um, over a million more votes were cast for taxing nicotine uh, products and funneling that money primarily into free preschool, uh, which will start in about three years. And so, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a shockingly large margin. That's great, though. I mean, we're uh, we're supposed to be a healthy state, and our electorate is reflecting our desire to tax the shit out of unhealthy things. <laughs> I know, I know. It was just the margin on that one. Everything else is like hundred thousand, maybe five hundred thousand, and this is like over a million votes to go ahead and tax those nicotine products. So good on y'all. Uh, the next one is oh, we already talked about the national popular vote. Yes, uh, at this point, Proposition uh, one thirteen is passing uh, that we we would become part of the national popular vote compact. Um, so our electors will go to the winner of the national popular vote, regardless of the way our state votes um, independently of that. Right. And we talked about the state income tax rate reduction. Um, so Proposition 117, voter approval on new state enterprises. Again, this is one of the ballot yeah. initiatives where we're a little, we're we recommended a no vote, but the state has passed it. So the yes group uh, took this one. And now every in every even year election, the ballot may contain information on newly created enterprises. So if you guys remember, enterprises are self-sustaining government entities. They don't issue a tax. They issue a fee, essentially. Um, 
So think of utility, uh, golf courses, cemeteries, but now we will have to approve these new enterprises by vote. So mm-hmm. that's which I just I just think it's one of those bureaucratic things. It's just going to take longer for the state to figure out budget items when they have to run it through voters. We skipped uh, Proposition 115, prohibit abortions this is, this is after a big one. 22 weeks. Huge one. Uh, we mentioned in the What the Fuck episodes just how many times we voted on abortion mandates like this. And we are right in line with what we always have done. We handedly uh uh, refused to put this stipulation in place. So there is no prohibitation, prohibition <laughs> of abortion, <Prohibitation. laughs> abortions after 22 weeks. Um, it, over half a million votes uh, basically said absolutely not. I was listening to some analysis on that one uh, that's fascinating, but I think Colorado has pretty, pretty markedly stayed the trajectory when it comes to legislation around abortion. We, we have not been passing it uh, year over year over year. So same, same with that one. Yeah, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but uh, there are some states that are essentially taking affirmative steps, uh, more conservative states, to react to a potential Supreme Court that would overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit about what that looks like, uh, Louisiana in particular. Um, but moving on to the last one, Prop 118, paid medical and family leave. Whoop, whoop. Boom, it passed. We're Boom. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> a little under 500,000 votes uh, make this one uh, made this one pass through, which I am incredibly grateful for. I mean, this was a solid plan. It is a great system uh, for people to have access to, whether you are employed or self-employed. Uh, I'm really, really grateful that that one passed through. It's just, it's so funny. It's just so funny to me. Like voter approval for all new state enterprises. We're like down to the nitty gritty, but then we're like, yeah, government set up a, set up our own FMLA. <laughs> like, I just, I don't understand. Definitely cut state income tax, but definitely tax us so that we can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was really surprised the results. We didn't, you know, as a state, we didn't lean 100% one direction or the other when it came to these measures. And it's it'll be interesting to see some analysis come out on that. Um, so let's hop into Colorado Springs. Uh, there's a couple things we covered on our Colorado Springs episode of what the fuck is on the ballot. The first one being Tabor refund specifically uh, funneled into public services. We voted to keep this one. Uh, it passed about 60% to 40%. So that's $1.9 million in Tabor excess that the city will be able to keep. The second part of this one we talked a lot about was that uh, we approved this Tabor issue where we will not reset the budget according to the income, uh, the revenue from COVID, right? So with Tabor, we sometimes have to reset uh, according to if we're in a recession or not. This particular measure said, how about we don't do that? Let's just leave our numbers at like pre-COVID numbers and not decrease anything. And we pass that. So we will not have to worry about picking ourselves up twice as far. <laughs> um, right. So it avoids the ratchet down effect. That is super it really does. In Tabor. And yeah. then the last piece uh, that passed that we're going to cover the park conveyances mm-hmm. over 108,000 votes were cast in favor of allowing voters to approve park conveyances. 
uh, over five acres. Uh, there are some exceptions to that, but in comparison, just over 93,000 votes were cast to allow city council to continue doing it, but by a larger majority than previously required. So this 2B is essentially passed. We will now require a vote of citizens to convey parkland. This is again, in response to the strawberry fields transfer. Mm -hmm. a few years ago. We recommended against it, or I, I feel like I talk you into this one, Darcy, but I, I am You just had the right one. information. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was already a process in place. Now this process is a lot more drawn out. We'll see how this plays out. You know, my, it's, I was talking about this with a friend today with the electoral college, how I don't like it, but I don't like it because it favors Republicans at the moment. If it, mm -hmm. were, if it favored Democrats, I'd probably be like, it's fine. Don't change it. Mm -hmm. This is one of those things where it's going to be like, yeah, it's fine. This totally makes sense until it doesn't make sense. Uh, right. We'll, we'll see if that happens. I am a little bit worried about this one. Just, you know, having some of that insider knowledge, it's going to cost quite a bit uh, to put each one of these things on the ballot. And the outcome of that is either that we're spending a lot more money as a city because we have to refer so many of these things to the ballot, or we're not doing as many conveyances. We're not doing those negotiations, which who knows what limiting that could really look like for our city. Some of those have been extremely beneficial to what we have for Parkland. And so um, we will see. We will see how this one plays out. I I was pretty strongly uh, okay with city council making the decision, but here we are. So uh, we'll look at it in the future. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's uh, let's move to Colorado and then, well, we've already talked about Colorado, but Colorado has some great statistics that I think are worth sharing. Colorado, we uh, are we, so damn proud of you. We're so proud. Almost 84% so total voter turnout of registered voters which is beautiful you guys beautiful. beautiful we think we think at this point in the recording uh that it is the the highest turnout of any state in the country really i didn't know that that's awesome so mini minnesota is the one competing with us but Colorado, okay it appears to in overall numbers then in, not percentage, in overall right? percentage yeah. turnout not wow overall. yeah percentage turnout so fascinating very uh, exciting great job yeah. Great job. Now, before you celebrate too much, <laughs> El Paso oh, yeah. County was less than 80%. And there are actually only three counties in the entire state that had less than a 90% or less than an 80% turnout, El Paso, Denver, and Costilla County. Um, and every, and there were some counties that were over 90% turnout. Like it's awesome. So awesome. Yes. So very, very awesome. Um, I think one of the things that when we started this podcast, RC, I, we've always been very pro-voting. Let's make mm -hmm. voting efficient. Let's make it safe. Let's make it secure. Colorado has done a fantastic job with this. It's so mm -hmm. easy to vote here. It feels so safe. Yeah. Uh, credit to not only the current uh, Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, but also Wayne Williams, uh, who we've said multiple times, has, did a very good job building that uh, building that infrastructure along with the city of Colorado Springs building our city voting infrastructure. Yeah. Well done. No, it is. We, we are kind of a marker and I hope moving forward, we have the opportunity to kind of showcase what we do. I was talking to someone the other day, you know, that's like, I, I got an email when my individual ballot was sent to me. I got, I turned it back in. I got an email when they received it and I got an email when they counted it. Like I had no doubt that my vote was appropriately added to the counts, right? And so, you know, hopefully as a state, we can kind of show 
what's going on um, and help some of these states that had trouble <laughs> or are continuing to have trouble oh, uh, with their mail-in votes. We're but we've been doing it for a while and it's and awesome. I think we're going to talk about Stacey Abrams at the end of the show. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, Stay tuned for that. What an, a crappy state looks like and then how, how to kind of combat that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, Darcy, I think, cover some of these notable ballot results from across the country. There's some fascinating results out there. Uh, across the board, I was surprised at both uh, how both Republican uh, and Democratic states uh, um, voted on mm. some of these ballot initiatives. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the big themes has been a repudiation of the tough on drug, the drug, yes. war, the drug crime kind of mentality that the country was in in the 80s and 90s and that Joe Biden has admittedly supported in the past. Mm-hmm. Five states uh, passed a marijuana legalization bills. Um, for both recreational and medical use. A majority of New Jersey and Arizona residents voted yes on ballot measures to make recreational marijuana legal. Voters in South Dakota, a traditionally red state, uh, approved marijuana for medical use. Mississippi voters approved an initiative to establish a medical marijuana program for patients with debilitating conditions. Hmm. And voters in Montana, also a traditionally red state, voted for two initiatives to legalize, regulate, and tax recreational marijuana for adults 21 and older. That's awesome. Good that job, guys. Awesome. You can also look at these as tax increases, really. I mean, it's it's just like well, we got we got a big nicotine we, tax. Yeah, we, we didn't dive into tax. how these were presented, but remember right. when it was presented to Colorado, it was like we can tax the shit out of this, and we're going to solve all of our budget problems, and education's going to be the best in the country. My guess is most of these states had something similar, <laughs> like like Probably. hey, guess what? We're going to be able to use this money. Um, we know that it's not a silver bullet, but you know, potentially this is the way people decided to bring in those dollars. Yeah. So on the, I would say, let's talk about California for a second, because this is a non, I would argue a uh, non-progressive, non-employee rights result. Mm. Uh, California voters side with companies that employ gig economy workers. So voters um, sided with companies such as Uber and Lyft to prevent the state from enacting a local labor law that would have forced companies to provide basic benefits such as health insurance, minimum wage, overtime, and reimbursement for expenses to independent contractors. Uh, 58% of voters approved Prop 22. So basically, independent contractors, you know, the big difference is they don't have the access to some of the benefits that employees do, such as, you know, unemployment, health uh, insurance, yeah, yada, yada. Uh, This ensures that they will still not have that access as independent contractors for these companies. Uh, Uber and Lyft and other app-based ride-hailing and delivery services spent $200 million to support the measure. To uh, not have them be this is gross. employees, I, I, right? I, I think this is pretty gross, yeah. It's not even to not have them as employees, but to, to not even be required to provide them some basic level of traditional employee benefits. Well, one of the things I heard that came out of this is as soon as this came up and, you know, Uber and Lyft and these other people were being told that they might have to provide things like health insurance, minimum wage, et cetera, uh, to the gig workers that had signed on with them, they started coming back and saying, okay, fine, then we're setting your schedule and we're telling you how to do X, Y, and Z, because now if you're an employee, then that's what we get to do. So there was also a lot of pushback from the gig worker side saying, that's not what I do this for. 
Like I, I don't want to sign on and be an employee where you get to tell me when I have to drive and when I don't like, that's not why I do this. So it is just an interesting, you know, kind of analytical look at what happens with the gig economy. Like what are you giving up and then what benefits do you have? In California, you know, they're giving up things like health insurance and and guaranteed wage, um, but they're able to do whatever they want to do on the side when they want to do it as a gig employee. So uh, it is it is interesting. It also I think I heard the 200 million is one of the highest uh, funding for like any state measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would argue, though, that with this, if your whole business model is dependent on uh, treating your labor pretty poorly uh, across the board, it's not a viable business model would be my <laughs> problem. No, but I also think well, there's a different argument. way to go about this. Like, obviously, sure. when we talk about the gig economy, we're not talking about traditional employment. And so making it look like traditional employment doesn't suit anyone. It doesn't it doesn't suit the people that are doing it and it doesn't suit the business model at all. And so I think what needs to happen is people need to look at this differently. Like what if Uber and Lyft had an opt-in, you know, that was like, Hey, I'm going to opt in to our group health insurance plan. And here's what that looks like, because it's something I want. And there was kind of a trade-off an association with that. And what we're looking at right now is like, no, you don't get anything, but we also can't tell you what to do. There has to be a middle ground, right? Where like, it's cheaper to be on a group health insurance plan. <laughs> like surely there's a way to present a group health insurance plan for the people that want it uh, without making, without taking away all of the flexibility and the um, income that they get, that they like getting with that flexibility. So yeah, it, I think it'll continue fair. to evolve. I, th I think though, ultimately Uber and Lyft are gonna be seen as technology companies. Ultimately their goal is going to be putting carless uh or excuse me driverless cars out on the street and then these workers are just going to be uh, but how soon is that going to be like a we'll see but takeover. i think that's the ultimate aim though i mean it's just going to boot them out of there anyway i don't that i think that's the ultimate aim but i think the the longevity of the average uber or lyft driver is short enough that that's not a main concern of theirs these this isn't a people don't do it as a career for the most part you know so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to abortion, Louisiana voters um, approved a amendment to limit abortion protection. So the more than 62% of Louisiana voters supported this. Uh, and what it would do is um, it would add a, a piece into the Louisiana constitution um, saying basically to protect human life, nothing in the constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. So the amendment prevents state lawmakers from deeming abortion restrictions unconstitutional should Roe v. Wade be overturned. So basically it's, it's a future looking provision, mm. uh, hopefully where they're hoping to forestall the argument that abortion um, restrictions are unconstitutional under state constitutional law. Uh, so not great. Uh, this is probably the model for uh, more states to essentially enshrine abortion restrictions within their constitution. Not this good. is interesting because I, I know Colorado is kind of an outlier on how easy it is to alter the state constitution. <laughs> um, but some states have it a lot more difficult. Do you know where Louisiana stands with that? Like, is this, 
like a major thing for them to have provided this amendment to the state constitution versus going another route? Uh, it's a super restrictive abortion state, so I'm not quite sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, it's to me, it's actually, regardless of how you feel about abortion, this is a pretty strategic uh, um, entry into their constitution. Whoever mm -hmm. drafted this is is very forward looking. I would. Oh argue. yeah, they're uh, they're assuming. Yeah, they're assuming changes at the Supreme at the U.S. Supreme Court level, and they're basically saying this is how we as a state are going to handle this. Yeah, basically, it's going to require now a constitutional amendment in the future if Louisiana starts trending more progressive and starting to open up uh, abortion access. They're gonna, it's going to be now a constitutional battle. So, hmm. fairly problematic. Uh, a Mississippi uh, approves a new state flag. So voters in Mississippi have approved the design of a new state flag, which will include an image of a magnolia, the state flower, and the phrase, quote, in God we trust. The previous state flag featured the Confederate battle cross. It was re retired in June as protests against racial injustice, injustice uh, were held nationwide. A majority of voters opted to keep the same flag in 2001. So oh, wow. Things have a, changed. A tidal flagship in Mississippi. That's great. Uh, Florida also raised the minimum wage, which I found really yeah. interesting, uh, up to $15. So they approved a ballot initiative to do this. The current minimum wage is $8.56, and it will take about six years to raise it up to the $15 mark. Uh, that makes it so New York, Washington, D.C., and Florida have the highest minimum wages in the country. Uh, California <laughs> comes in at $13 an hour. Which is crazy. It, I mean, Florida, man. Florida, you just continue to be a crazy ass state. I <laughs> don't even get it. Uh, I mean, look at those states, New York, Washington, DC, uh, and California, super high. I think what's Colorado gonna cap at like 12 before we adjust it again? Is that yeah, what, I think um, the latest one was 12 uh, and that was- And then Florida, Florida, God, yeah. crazy bastards down there. Uh, I'm kind of excited about this one. Oregon becomes the first state in the U.S. to decriminalize drug possession. So this is a much broader repudiation. Yeah, this is huge. <laughs> Forget about marijuana. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just anything. Fucking meth in Oregon now. So <laughs> it's the first state in the country to decriminalize the personal possession, personal possession of illegal mm -hmm. drugs, including cocaine, heroin, oxycodone, and meth. Um mm -hmm. It was measure 110. It was passed by a wide margin in unofficial returns updated uh, as of Wednesday morning of election week. The ballot measure reclassifies possession of small amounts of drugs as a civil violation similar to a traffic offense. The penalty becomes a $100 fine, which a person can avoid by agreeing to participate in a health assessment. Oh, wow. Selling and manufacturing the drugs will still remain illegal. So please do not move to Oregon with hopes to manufacture cocaine and meth and, and push it out on the street. The decriminalization provisions of the measure take effect on February 1, 2021. The measure will also fund health assessments, addiction treatment, harm, harm, reduction, excuse me, harm reduction efforts, and other services for people with addiction disorders. Funding those programs will come through the reallocation of tens of millions of dollars generated by Oregon's cannabis tax. Mm. The measure also is expected to generate savings in the criminal justice system because of fewer drug arrests, prosecutions, and incarcerations. 
those savings would be re redirected into a new state fund for treatment and other services. I mean, it's it's kind of smart, right? <laughs> like instead of spending tons and tons of money on uh, the process required if somebody is arrested for a, a drug conviction, they're they're going out and giving tickets. Right. And like requiring people just to pay into the system, like getting a parking ticket or a traffic ticket, which, you know, the percentage of uh, like the police and fire budgets are all revolving around that. So this is uh, this is fascinating. Well, you can even like do shrooms. It's great. <laughs> that was another measure that passed. Uh, <laughs> they're also looking into an organ They're they're uh, developing a magic mushroom uh, treatment program. Uh, through one of the other measures they passed we didn't we don't really uh have any more information than that but yeah they're super progressive on the drug laws in oregon now but what it does <laughs> eliminates those low-level arrests and kind of filling jails with what is what tends to be young minority men mm -hmm. uh for minor drug crimes that could you know ultimately screw up the rest of their lives so it's, and, it's yeah and this is a huge problem in the country right now is figuring out what to do with people that have been sentenced to these you know really extensive sentencings uh for a pretty minor what we would consider today a minor drug offense and so it just completely eliminates that i would suspect that just after this um they're going to be looking at how to uh release people that are still incarcerated because of drug offenses because of this new law yeah, pretty interesting. And then I included this this last ballot uh, initiative that we found kind of interesting from Austin, Texas, because I think it's going to be a, a potential insight into what maybe some infrastructure programs could look mm -hmm. like over the next four years if Biden does become president. Um, so Proposition A arose from Austin's Metro uh, Project Connect comprehensive plan for improvements to Austin's mass transit system. It's a $7.1 billion plan, includes building two light rails, a downtown tunnel, and multiple rapid bus routes, an 8.75 cent, uh, is it percent? 8.75 cent increase to the city of Austin's tax rate would apply for construction, or excuse me, would pay for construction and maintenance and labor of the system, uh, which will take decades to fully, fully build out. It is by far the largest project Austin voters have ever been asked to approve dwarfing previous bond measures that have enjoyed approval in recent years. Uh, unlike bonds, increase to property taxes that would fund the project are in perpetuity. So wow. yeah, that's a, it's a big deal. They're using property taxes, the funding mechanism for this. Um, and there we go. That's a lot. Seven billion, $7.1 billion. It's a big, wow. But they get off light rails big. and everything. Nice. And tunnels and light rails and tunnels. All I want is a train. Between <laughs> like up and down the front range, surely we could figure this out. Surely, surely. That's moving forward from what I what I hear. We, we it is can... in feasibility studies. Yes. True. Yes. Well, we'll see. Uh, Council person Gabler will be very excited if that comes through. I will be very excited if that comes yeah. through. Um, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just say we have some really interesting uh, notes here on candidate wins across the country, some history making wins, um, including you want to start with Delaware. Yeah, so Delaware elects the first openly transgender state senator. So Sarah McBride, who is 30 years old, won a seat in the Delaware State Senate Tuesday night uh, of election week and made history as the first openly transgender transgender state senator in the nation. 
when she is sworn in, McBride will become the nation's highest ranking openly transgendered elected official. She's so also 30. She is 30. That is awesome. 30 year olds. That is awesome. Uh, the Tennessee General Assembly gains two openly LGBTQ politicians, Tori Harris and Eddie Manis. Uh, they're on different sides of the political aisle, interesting, but they found common ground and they made history with wins to serve in the Tennessee state legislature. Tennessee has been one of just five states that previously had never elected openly LGBTQ candidates as state representatives. Harris is a Democrat. He'll represent Memphis and Manis, a Republican, will represent Knoxville. Yeah, just a note on this, I thought it was pretty interesting. I, you know, I still remember the days where a gay Republican elected official would have been an oxymoron, right? Uh, it would yeah, have, it would never, it would, it would no it, go. not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and while I do not uh, believe the Republican Party as it's current, as it currently exists is viable or open to uh, general human rights. Uh, it is encouraging that the party does seem to be uh, accepting more uh, LGBTQ candidates within their ranks. Um, yeah, this is awesome. So that's, that's encouraging. Hopefully they'll broaden their coalition outreach, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Vermont legislator adds the first openly transgender member. So following in uh, Delaware's uh, wake, uh, Taylor Small, 36, added her name to a list of notable LGBTQ victories on Tuesday, winning a seat in the Vermont House of Representatives. The progressive representative elect for the district of Winooski and Burlington took to Twitter to celebrate her historic win. Very nice. cool. Uh, Georgia also elected the first openly LGBTQ state senator for them. Kim Jackson, an out lesbian, became Georgia's first openly uh, LGBTQ representative in the state's history. This victory also adds her name to a list of just three other uh, LGBTQ black female state senators in the United States. Uh, wow, really? It's your note. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. People keep texting me pictures of uh, Trump, like Trump memes. Where he's, did you see the one where he's like bouncing on the ball in the kindergarten class? And the, oh. the there's like, I just, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> Georgia reelects the Come first. Come back to uh, Georgia. We're talking Georgia, a lot about Georgia. Georgia. You know, right. Georgia, we should uh, we should talk about this a little bit when we wrap up some of these notable ballots. But Georgia is going to become like the epicenter of politics here in the next few months. Mm -hmm. um, Georgia reelects its first openly gay state representative, uh, Sam Park, who became the first openly gay man to elected to the Georgia state legislature four years ago, was reelected in the 101st district. The Asian American LGBTQ uh, Democrat is currently one of only two Asian American state representatives in the U.S., along with Evan Lowe of California. Wow. Lots of lots of cool markers there. Uh, New York elected two openly LGBTQ Black members of Congress, uh, Richie Torres and Mondaire Jones, two openly gay Black Democratic representatives uh, that made history on Tuesday. Torres won his House race for the 15th Congressional District in South Bronx, uh, becoming the first queer Afro-Latinx elected official to serve in Congress. And Mondaire, who adds his name to a running list of first open uh, LGBTQ Black Congress people from any state said on Twitter Wednesday morning he was humbled and grateful for quote the community that just sent an openly gay Black guy who grew up in Section 8 housing and on food stamps to Congress. 
your dog is very excited about all these LGBTQ yeah, yeah. members in the hundred percent. We all should be. <laughs> uh, Kansas elects its first openly transgender lawmaker, Stephanie Byers, or oh, Kansas. Wichita teacher won in Kansas on Tuesday of election week, another notable victory for the LGBTQ community. The newest state legislator is the first openly transgender lawmaker in the red state, which ABC News projected as a win for uh, Donald Trump during election week. So it's awesome. It's pretty. Yeah. Kansas, man. Come through. Yeah, that is awesome. See, these things we're celebrating, regardless of when you're listening to this and what things look like, these are all things worth celebrating. They are markers of moving a country in a more representative direction, which is good. It is a good thing. Uh, one of the things you might have seen or heard as you're following along with everything in these days Uh one of the things you may have seen or heard as you're following along with everything these days is the name Stacey Abrams. Jeff, have you come across Stacey Abrams as you're tracking? I, I have. I do want to, before we dive into Stacey Abrams, oh, yeah. one quick note on the, the uh, Georgia Senate runoffs. Yeah. So it looks like both um, of the Senate runoffs, both Senate election uh, slots in Georgia are going to a runoff in 2021. Yes decide control of the u.s senate so that is what yes. will be the epicenter of politics over the next two months here yes and and yeah in ways looking towards georgia is also going to tell us a lot about things like uh voter access voter suppression what this looks like and how what the outcome is you know we've been talking at kind of a higher level in some cases about things like voter suppression and what the outcome could be and georgia actually just gave us an illustration of what things would look like if it if people were actually allowed to vote <laughs> um Stacey Abrams is actually a big part of that. We mentioned her uh, in, earlier in the show. You may have seen her name come up here and there, a mention come up here and there. She's an American politician. She's a lawyer, a voting rights activist, and she served in the Georgia House of Representatives from 2007 to 2017, and she was even the minority leader from 2011 to 2017. She's a member of the Democratic Party, um, and she founded Fair Fight Action, um, about uh, which fights voter suppression. She founded that in 2018. The reason she founded it is fascinating. And I think for me, a lesson and an inspiration. So she ran for governor as a Democrat against uh, Brian Kemp, who was, a who was a Republican and at the time Secretary of State. About There's a bunch of stuff that happened during this election that is just disgusting. So a week before Election Day, Brian Kemp uh, canceled a debate that had been scheduled about seven weeks earlier and went to a Trump rally in Georgia instead and then blamed Stacey Abrams for the cancellation, saying that she wasn't willing to reschedule it. She came back and was like, we are not going to take Georgians for granted and just cancel on them just because you break your promises doesn't, you know, put the weight on my shoulders. And then two days before the election, this guy, Brian Campigan, announced that it was investigating the Georgia Democratic Party for unspecified possible cyber crimes. The Georgia Democratic Party stated that Kemp's claims were 100% false, described them as a political stunt. Obviously, it's two days before the election. He's running against a Democrat. Like, it was, it, it, there was nothing found. Uh, they investigated in 2020 the Attorney General's office and concluded there was absolutely no evidence of cyber crimes. 
And then it was revealed that the alleged cybercrime against Kemp's office was, in fact, a planned security test that one of his own staff members had signed off on months ahead of time. As Georgia's Secretary of State, Kemp obviously was in charge of elections and voter registration during the election. They found that between 2012 and 2018, his office canceled over 1.4 million voter registrations. 700,000 of those were canceled in 2017 alone. On yeah, a, can, go ahead. Can we pause here for a second? Yeah. This is, I just think, really notable. So as we've alluded to multiple times, the Secretary of State really has a ton of control over a state's yes. voting processes, uh, election, or excuse me, elector rolls, everything. He is in charge of this office while running for the governor. While running for governor, yes. This is a very, sorry, continue on because it just gets worse from here. Yeah. So um, he cancels 1.4 million voter registrations, cancels nearly 700,000 in 2017 alone. They say that on a single night in July of 2017, half a million voters had their registrations canceled. Um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the newspaper there, and election law experts said it was, quote, it may represent the largest mass disenfranchisement in U.S. history. So they're running a race right now. He's taking people off the books so they can't vote. He's not notifying anybody. The voters right. were given no notice that they had been purged. And he was doing all of this eight months after he declared he was running for governor. Right. right. Um, and there was a bunch more investigated journalism that ran through and basically found that huge portions of these purge were people who should have stayed on the books. They still lived where they were registered. Like there was no reason for their registrations to be canceled. The result of that governor's race was that Stacey Abrams lost the election by about 50,000 votes. Oof. oof. Yes. Uh, so, so pause here because Stacey Abrams, because you're going to, you're going to talk about what she did after this. Yeah. So after this election, Stacey Abrams national profile was dramatically increased. Like a lot mm. more people knew her. She was very big in progressive circles. She could have done almost anything she wanted in progressive politics, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. She didn't start a show. She didn't start a podcast. She didn't do that. What did she do Darcy? Cause this is where Stacey Abrams is the queen. Yeah. So she, the other thing she could have done was file a lawsuit she like this. Done. This is ridiculous, right? Like, and she's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. It was kind of a natural thing, but she didn't. She mobilized people. She founded an organization, got some funds in, and started registering people to vote and started working against any voter suppression that was happening in Georgia and teaching other people to do so across the country. So in response to this potentially illegitimate defeat, she is being credited with pushing Georgia blue and with getting more people to vote and vote Democrat across the state than anyone had does. Some reports actually credit her with registering over 800,000 new voters across Georgia in time for this year's election. 45% of those are under the age of 30 and 49% are people of color. It's I mean, it's she moved it. She moved the needle. I mean, she looked Jeez. at it and was like, this is bullshit. How do I fix it? She actually has a quote I have in here of saying she goes, I sat Shiva for 10 days and then I started plotting. Uh, sat Shiva is uh, active mourning. Right. So she basically yeah, mourned her loss for mm -hmm. 10 days. And then she was like, I'm fixing it. Yeah. 
I would say the Biden administration uh, has a lot to thank Stacey Abrams for this election because 100%, if, if yeah. Biden wins, it's going to be, uh, George is going to be one of the big reasons why. Oh, I agree. And she was actually on Biden's shortlist for vice president for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the women on that shortlist. Uh, and my hope is that she she gets picked um, and uh, holds an office to help voters across the country. And I think we should note here that, you know, we talk a lot about voter access. Her nonprofit provided voter access. It's across, it's voter access for everybody, not just Democrats. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We sure as many people's voices are heard across the country, regardless of party affiliation. Uh, and she, she worked to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's important to know. We want I think as a, as a nation to have as many of our citizens as engaged in voting as possible. hundred percent. That is how a democracy should work. Yes. Um, yeah, and then we count all of those votes all and the that. outcome is the outcome. That's I'm, how a democracy I hope they counted work. my six ballots and then my wife's <laughs> <two> ballots. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot going on. You know, as we said, as we record this, we are not sure who the president is. The Electoral College has not been called entirely. Votes are still being counted. Votes are going to have to be confirmed over the course of the next few weeks. Um, we do not know what's going to happen. We don't under- know what the next uh, couple of months are going to look like. And so we want to provide you with some things that may help your sanity. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we call this section cultural palate cleansers. So just some things to distract yourselves from uh, the craziness, I'm sure, of the next Put the Twitter down. Put the Twitter down, stop the doom scrolling. So just a couple of rec- recommendations across the cultural landscape. So uh, the first, this comes from friend of the show, Dave, uh, the podcast Winds of Change, where researchers question, did the CIA write Winds of Change uh, for the, the band, the Scorpions, it's a German band that sings in English as part of a Cold War propaganda campaign. What? <laughs> yeah, as, as Dave describes it, and so far it is true, every episode is, is very much like this. Every episode has at least one thing that will blow your mind. So check it out. It's from Pineapple Studios in um, conjunction with Crooked Media. Uh, oh, cool. It is super fun. It's a fun mi- mix of history, music, and spy shit. So, nice. Yeah. Um, my next recommendation is a book. It's called The Club, How the English Premier League Became the Wildest, Richest, Most Disruptive Force in Sports by Jono Clegg and Joshua Robinson. Fantastic book. Uh, even if you don't like soccer, if you just generally like sports, it's a, it's a fascinating read on the rise of the English Premier League um, and all of the money and kind of, it's a look at globalism, a look at sports, a look at personalities. It's fascinating. It's a quick read. It's super fun. Uh, highly recommend. Then The Queen's Gambit is my last recommendation on Netflix. It's based on a book. It's uh, fictional, but it is about the rise of a female chess prodigy uh, who is both very good at chess and very good at downing quaaludes. So check it out. Uh, Super, super interesting, beautiful cinematography, great direction, uh, great show. So I have a question about The Queen's Gambit because I'm super interested in watching it. And at the same time, sometimes the trailers make it look really creepy. Is it creepy? It's not creepy, but it is certainly a look into a addiction, uh, both addiction and ability, right? Like the huge promise of intelligence, 
combined with addiction and personality disorders. Don't they, they have a quote in the trailer that's something about, you know, the thin line between brilliance and madness. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. we, I talk about this a lot with, uh, people I run with, you know, a lot like Michael Jordan, Lance Armstrong, all these top level, uh, pro athletes are borderline personality disorders. Mm-hmm. All of them. Uh, and I think the Queens game, it's a good example of how Interesting. that plays out. Yeah. Uh, in, in the chess world, not the athletic world. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I am, I might try it. I tend to stay away from anything remotely creepy. <laughs> so we'll it's see. Pretty, we'll see how it's, I do. it's fun. It's like funny and it's fun. It's poignant and funny. It's good. It's good. You'll like it. All right. Um, so my contributions to our keep your sanity section. Um, I just last night finished Schitt's Creek. Um, it took me a long time to get into Schitt's Creek. I actually didn't like the first season hardly at all, but by the second and then definitely the fourth season, I was all in, um, and I might just start over. (laughs) The entirety of DC Jim's wardrobe is based on Schitt's Creek. Oh my gosh. I, I just, I, I really fell in love with it. Um, and have been kind of nerding out on stuff all over, like all kinds of fan stuff all over the internet. Like I found something the other day that was the astrological signs of like, based on personality of each character and Mm. got really excited that um, two of the characters are, you know, the same signs as my husband and I, and I just find that to be really good. (laughs) Really good. I mean, doesn't it remind you of just the progressive gay version of the Trump family kind (laughs) of? It's there's actually something that's so heartening about it like from start to finish that yeah they're they're dysfunctional and there's things about them that are just over the top and you know like oh my gosh this crazy spoiled rich like family or whatever that you can't relate to and then as you go through it's like well no they're people and their development as characters and the relationships and stuff are just I loved it I absolutely loved it I was giddy as of as of season four I was just giddy the whole time so (laughs) um I loved it um there's a new podcast out. It's called How to Citizen with Baratunde Thurston. Um, they describe it as a podcast that reimagines citizen as a verb and helps reclaim our collective power. Um, really fascinating topics, really interesting people that are being interviewed on the podcast about uh, stuff all over, about building community, about what it looks like to be a neighbor. I mean, it's just really fascinating content with that. So that's one of my recommendations for something to listen to. And then I reached out to a friend of the show, Trevor, uh, for some suggestions as well. Uh, he is he is deep in the presidential results, and I used it partially as a reminder that you know he should come up for air <laughs> and like maybe tune into something else. Um, and his recommendation was the social dilemma. It's a documentary on Netflix, um, and it's about the polarizing effect of social media because. And this is from front of the show, Trevor, the next four years are about undoing a lot of social media's damage and concentrating on common ground. Um, And then in my family, our next big thing that we do is every Friday, we do the new episode of the Great British Baking Show. Mm, Also, every Friday, new episodes of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. So I started The Mandalorian and I think um, I don't get it. I found myself constantly looking at my husband like, who is that? What's happening? What's happening? Why is that happening? What are they trying to do? And he just kind of kept staring at me like, okay, maybe this isn't a good fit. 
I am much more into Star Wars than my wife and my wife, I think reacted like that, where it's a lot of like, what are you referencing? But it gets to the point where it's not referencing anything and it's just oh, okay. a cowboy in space movie. Or so show. I need to stick with it more it than works. like the first episode. Yes, okay. it gets better. It gets much better and much more enjoyable. Even if you're, you can certainly dive into the Star Wars references, but you don't need to. So Okay, well, that's good to know. So I can take your Queen's Gambit and potentially your Mandalorian, oh, Mandalorian. as yeah. recommendations for myself. There you go, exactly. Cool. And all, uh, I mean, I'm in the Shit's Creek already, so. Yeah, no, it's just I gotta, so good. I got to watch The Social Dilemma so I can just delete enough Facebook altogether. I have a, I, after watching it, I actually, um, you know, my phone does like a screen time thing. So I know how long I've spent and I put some very strict parameters on all of it, uh, how much mm. time spent on each app and what things look like. And even some time of day parameters, you know, like you can't pick it up before a certain time in the morning, you put it down after a certain time at night. Um, I will say that during this last week, all of that has flown out the window, <laughs> um, but I'm hoping to get back to it. Monday is my day. <laughs> I'm going to get know, back to it. I was vividly recalling, I know we're supposed to be like palate cleansing right now, but I remember very specifically in 2016 where I was. And I remember going to bed thinking Hillary Clinton was going to win. I was in New York for mm. work thinking she was going to win. I had a great night's sleep and I woke up to like a nightmare. Ugh. And then this time I went to bed pretty unsure whether Biden was going to win or not, did not sleep at all and woke up um, after like two hours of sleep to lots of good news uh, by the morning. So mm -hmm. kind of a funny um, switch in that four years. I didn't, I didn't expect to sleep Tuesday night and actually I dozed off and I ended up having a dream. I was hanging out with president Obama and Biden one handedly and everything was fine. And I actually had a really good rest. <laughs> Not that that's a reality. I haven't been uh, hanging out with, <laughs> with president Obama, Obama or anything. Um, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, he is a cool guy in the dream, like real chill. Uh, <laughs> and so real chill. yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I hoped for the best. This has been kind of a long uh, a long week. What did I see something the other day? Someone was like, okay, so March lasted for four months and now Tuesday's gonna last forever. Like, <laughs> like this is horrible. This is not the not the way you want the year to go, but here we are and we will make it through and then we will um we will mobilize. We will mobilize and Georgia, uh we will we'll keep a watch on Georgia. That's gonna be Stacey Abrams showing and how it's done down there. So Yeah, no, I, I hope that she gets even more of a platform uh, to help direct and help increase voting across the country because it is it is vital. It is vital to our democracy that people have the opportunity to vote and their vote gets counted. Exactly. All right. Well, Colorado, thank you for voting and participating in our democracy, as messy as it is sometimes. We appreciate it. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening to all our What the Fucker on the Ballot episodes. Um, we're done now with election wrap-ups. We'll probably, we'll probably mention some updates within our uh, in the news section, but on, on to more topics. On to more topics. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Um, we will catch you next time. We are The Little London Show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Little London Show is a production of Little London Media. Produced by producer Daniel, researched by researcher Tim, and your hosts are Jeff and Darcy. Recorded at RND Studios located in downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado. Get more information and links at littlelondonshow.com. Little London Show.